Hello, awesome people. Welcome to Embrace the Pivot. I'm Dr. C. Robinson, your host for the show. Join me as we discover what pivoting actually means and how you can embrace your pivot during life's transition. Happy Wednesday, everyone. I know I took a two-week break, but I am back and have a lineup of some really cool guests. So I am back from my three-month adventure in Hawaii. It is difficult getting uh, reacclimated onto the mainland, <laughs> but I'm managing. That time away really gave me perspective. It gave me clarity on who I want to be and what I want to do. And now I'm just putting that plan and strategy into motion. I hope all of you are doing well with your pivots. The word pivot is used less and less now as the world reopens. But just understand that we pivot every single day. And it's okay if you feel frustrated. It's okay if you feel excited. Embrace those feelings. Feel what you're feeling, but move on. Don't let that hinder your success. Today's guest, Nick Cuomo, is a former professional gamer and the founder of All Star. And he had this idea on a plane, and he'll share his story, it's really interesting, to come up with a company. It allows amateur gamers to create their own content without having to spend hours upon hours of utilizing different software. He even caught the attention of Mark Cuban, and that story is incredible too. It's when opportunity meets preparation meets luck, and he went with it. He embraced it, and now amateur gamers can feel like they're pro gamers, and this sets them up to become professional gamers. It gives them highlight reels. It's really cool. I'm so excited for Nick to share his story. It's about determination and just keep going. And when you're presented with an opportunity, you take it no matter where you are in the world. Everyone, please welcome Nick. Thank you, Cheryl. I am glad to be here and appreciate you having me. Yeah. So, all right. You have a very cool background. You're a professional gamer. Then when you retired, you started working in content, marketing, and now you have your own company who just raised, what, almost $4 million, which is incredible. Congratulations. Why don't you share with me, one, how did you start in gaming? And two, what was that moment for you to say, you know what, it's time for me to retire and do something else? Totally. Yeah. So um, I, I've always loved games. I remember playing my brother's Atari way back in the day. Uh, <laughs> I was, you know, I was too young to really understand. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what this is, but it's cool. You had like Pong. And um, so I, I got hooked pretty young and, and I was big Sega Genesis fan. So that was kind of my uh, my first personal console system. Had Nintendo and stuff, but like that's where I really got hooked. And uh, how this relates to like my pro gaming career. So I guess through high school and college, I played a lot of Counter-Strike. That was like my game of choice. And uh, I would go to tournaments with my friends. We thought it would be cool to, you know, we had like a little team. And so there was like events in the city and you could win some money and it sounded awesome. And so 
uh, we would go and, and travel and do these events. And I loved it. I was like, I've never done anything like this in my life. This is like addictive and exhilarating. And uh, still some of the most exciting memories of, of my life were in these kind of competitive gaming tournaments. But uh, I, I did that for a while. And I was really like a nobody. You know, I had my moments of triumph and stuff, but I, I was not a, an, a known quantity. And so I started to take like my best moments of gameplay and kind of constructed them into these like, you know, small movies that uh, really went viral in the sort of pre-YouTube, pre-Twitch era. And, uh, and like overnight, I was, you know, on the map. I had fans, I had haters, teams wanted to recruit me. <laughs> it was a really powerful experience and it really taught me the, the, the value of gaming content as like a form of, of social currency. And so from then on, you know, I, I played uh, professional Counter-Strike for a few years. And then uh, in college, you know, listen, it's a full-time job. Being a pro gamer is not easy. You know, you, you can't take a break. You got to always practice. It's, it's very competitive. So uh, the most competitive thing I've ever done in my life. And so I, I had to choose between like basically, you know, finishing college or continuing to play. And uh, at that point, you know, the game was kind of in a, a transition period. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to just focus on, on college. So I kind of hung up the mouse uh, and, and focus on school. <laughs> and that was, uh, that was where I spent the last like 15 or so years. I, I ran my own design studio. I worked for a digital agency. I worked at a, a venture back SaaS company. And then, um, and then I felt like I kind of had my epiphany on like a flight. I couldn't sleep. That was my sales superpower. Could always sleep on planes, could not sleep on this flight. And, and something kept me up. And I kind of felt like that was the moment where I was ready to go back to like my first love of gaming and to really follow my dream of, of starting a company and something that I, I care about and passionate about. So that was really it. That was the moment I went and started putting my thoughts to paper, pitching people. And eventually in August of 2019, uh, myself and my co-founder, Gavin Silver, we took the plunge. We left our very cushy careers and, and we dove headfirst into bootstrapping our business. Wow. All right. So many questions <laughs> in this. The first <laughs> question that stands out, though, is before YouTube, before Twitch, how did you film your games? Yeah. Was, this, uh, so, was the software even available? Uh, there. So I probably used like four or five different tools. Um, it took like, I would say hundreds, if not thousands of hours of work to make, wow. you know, kind of amateur level content. But basically you could like dump out the frames of gameplay into like images. And then you could like stitch that back together in a video file somewhere else. <laughs> and then like, you know, you had to like record, like there was these replay files of the games and you had to just record everything you ever did. Remember when you did something good, go back and make video out of it. Uh -huh. And then, you know, learn editing. And so I used, I think Vegas video for editing. Uh, I used, uh, you know, all other tools to grab like, music and sound. And um, yeah, I mean, I just, I did it the hard way. I had a lot of smart people that I knew through gaming and through real life to kind of help answer my, you know, dumb questions of how to do this or how to do that. But yeah, it was uh, the brute, brute force <laughs> method of content creation back then. Yeah, so you were just you were there at the heart of it, at the foundation, right? The very um, beginning. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we, now, used to, we used to go to okay. we used to go to malls. Our tournaments yeah. were, you know, the shopping <laughs> mall was the biggest venue of esports back then. Well, that was going to be my question: is how have gaming conferences and events evolved since you started? It's, it's very, very serious now. I think you know back then it was kind of uh, everyone's hobby and it was like quaint and 
you know, it was, it was all about fun and people just were very, you know, passionate about it. But now it's like big business. I mean, gaming is the, you know, largest form of entertainment. Esports is huge and, and growing. Yeah. And so, you know, now, I mean, like I, I, like I went to see the Nets the other weekend. I was like, huh, the last time I, I've been in the Barclays Center was for a Counter-Strike tournament. And I, I remember <laughs> like, you know, going there and it's just, it was amazing because I never imagined back when I played and we were just pumped to be like, in front of you know 12 people at a shopping mall that thousands of people would like fly across the world to watch their favorite players on stage in an actual sports stadium so that's come a long long way yeah now do you regret hanging up the mouse with the gaming being the <laughs> way it is now uh i do and i don't i i miss it and i think i would have had a very different uh you know sort of life journey uh i i don't regret the experiences i've gained from from hanging up the mouse and, and kind of, you know, focusing on studies and, and career, because I don't think if I did that, I would be in the position I am now able to start a company like All Star. So I do feel like to some extent uh, that that was the right choice. But yeah, I, I do. I do miss it. I imagine like, you know, what would I be in if I if I kept at it? Um, but, you know, I'm always focused on the future. And, and there's a very bright future ahead for, for gaming and for our company. And I feel like we're in the perfect spot to, to really catapult off of that. So uh, no major regrets. So before we get into what All Star actually is, that when you couldn't sleep on the plane and you were jotting down notes, was there ever a moment then or afterwards where you looked back and said, "Ah, oh, could this really work?" Or what? Like, what was that driving force to say, "Yes, this is something real. This I have to create this company," and just started pitching. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I, I don't think there was a distinctive moment outside of the the decision me and my co-founder made to put in our notice at our jobs and be like, we're going to bet it all. Or, you know, at the very least, like, you know, we're taking tremendous more career risk than we were if we would have stayed kind of doing what we were doing. Um, but it was a process. I think, you know, on the plane was kind of that moment of inspiration to really just uh, go back through my own background uh, you know, my own experiences and, and really kind of figure out like, what is the problem that I'm meant to solve? And like, you know, where would I have the biggest opportunity to start a, a business in gaming that I'm passionate about? And that's where content and content creation and, and kind of competitive gaming and all that sort of came together with my experiences in the creative spaces, in marketing and, you know, software and building software companies. So um, that was a bit of like the process I went through. But then from there, it was like, all right, now like a lot of research to do, got to size your market, got to really estimate the size of the problem, like the potential upside, the growth trends, and then started, you know, kind of leaning into what I was really good at. Uh, what I still love to do is, is sell and pitch. And so I started pitching, you know, my, my co-founder Gavin, and he had some really great challenging questions for me. So back to the drawing board, a lot of research. And then, you know, once we started to kind of like beat up the business, like we basically approached it like we were investors, right? We're investing our own time. And that's super valuable. So before we were very confident to be like, this is the right move, we had to really beat this up like we were investors. And so once we kind of did that and started looking at the upside, we're like, all right, like we have to do this. There's a there's a huge opportunity here, probably a lot bigger than if we stay where we are now. Uh, so that was kind of the impetus. Awesome. So you first bootstrapped and now you've raised money. How have you grown from bootstrapping to now being able to really utilize this money correctly? 
Yeah, it's um, we, we've grown in a lot of ways. I think, you know, for, for us, it all starts with a user. So, you know, we've grown from like dozens of users making hundreds of clips and being super pumped about that to, you know, thousands of users making tens of thousands of clips, creating millions of views, hundreds of millions of impressions. Uh, and, and, and a lot of what we do really centers around that kind of growth. Um, from like a personal standpoint, you know, the, the bootstrap version of All Star was me and Gavin full time. And then we started bringing on some part time help in specific kind of areas and engineering and things like that. And uh, once we closed funding with Mark Cuban and, and really rounded out our pre-seed, um, then we actually brought on our, our first full time employee, John Rubidoux, who's amazing. And uh, we started to kind of expand the team uh, from there. And we really just pulled together people from our networks, uh, people that we've worked with and, and folks that just had a passion for what we were doing to fill in the gaps of the things that like we couldn't do on our own anymore. And, uh, and things kind of grew from there. I, I always joked that, you know, every time you close funding, it's like you're basically starting a new job. So there was the <laughs> me and Gavin version of All-Star, there was the 400K pre-seed version, and now we're on the, you know, close to 4 million funded uh, version. And, and uh, yeah, we're up to nine full-time uh, 15 with part-time employees and, wow. um, you know, we're, we're just, we're growing like wildfire. Yeah. All right. Break down. What is all-star? So the, the snackable bite size explanation, we are Twitch meets TikTok. Uh, the, the more sort of, uh, you know, sort of breaking it down into further detail. So it all kind of goes back to my story. Uh, our mission is, is really about democratizing gaming content. So we focus on the everyday gamer. Most content creation today is focused on the professionals, right? Like Twitch and, you know, YouTube gaming. I mean, the, the, the folks that drive the value and the content for these platforms are, are typically the professionals. And there's not that many of them. You know, we estimate anywhere from six to 10 million gaming creators really drive majority of the value in the gaming content market. Market space, which is wow. something like 6.5 billion in, in 2019 alone. But if you kind of look at the the pyramid of you know consumption, right? The the real foundation, the base of that value is there's over a billion gamers that consume this content on a regular basis, and uh, that that base is growing at like 21% annually. So it's going to be like two billion gamers consuming gaming content. Uh, within the next two to three years. Uh, and there's 2.7 billion gamers on Earth. So huge, huge uh, audience. And and what we kind of saw is this really missed opportunity in that outside of gaming, things like Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, like half of the users create content on a regular basis. Things, you know, how, inside of gaming is actually a lot less. So like in Twitch, for example, you have something like uh, three to 4% of their user base creates any content at all. So it's just, you don't see that sort of, uh, you know, democratization that you've seen in other short form content platforms. And, and the reasons for this is, you know, we kind of look at this like a tech problem. It's just not accessible enough for gamers to easily and effortlessly create really great snackable content and to share that with friends and to actually make that content good and interesting and entertaining to watch. So we focus on that and solving, building technology to solve that problem um, by really offsetting or offloading the burden from the user. So now All-Star essentially acts like every user's own kind of virtual production team. So we actually create the content for them in the cloud. We integrate into the games, we uh, edit and, and upload and share and tag and, and tweak and trim the content for the gamer without them really lifting a finger. So they can wow. focus on playing games and we can focus on making amazing content for them, but you know, removing all of the hurdles and burdens that prevent them from doing it in the first place. So all of your hundreds of thousands of hours, right? <laughs> Making your own videos back in the day is simplified through All-Star. Simplified, automated. Uh, we've effectively taken 
the process that a, a content creator goes through to make great content. And we've automated that in the cloud and made that kind of accessible to everybody. And how have you seen then the user? How does that enhance their gaming as an amateur? So one of the interesting things to think about in gaming is that uh, so most gaming activity is socially motivated. 80% of gamers play games primarily to socialize. So that's that's very important. It's, it's more about the connections and interactions with other people that the game provides. And uh, and within a lot of those games, you know, you have uh, the, the bulk of content is really driven by a, a small group of these kind of competitive online multiplayer games, a lot of them on the PC. And so uh, within these, these kinds of uh, competitive and, and multiplayer games, uh, when you think about it, half of the players are having an awful time most of the time, or at least half of the time, right? Because someone has to lose. If it's a competitive multiplayer game, half of that the players in a game are, are not having a great time because they're losing. However, with All-Star, you're actually creating content. So win or lose, you have something to look forward to after the game. So maybe you played well, but your team didn't. But, you know, that doesn't matter. You're still going to get some sweet clip that you're going to show off and brag to your friends about after the game. So we actually find that gamers that use All-Star play games uh, more. They come back to games that they set down. And uh, it really drives a lot of that kind of post-game attention time back to the game itself. Uh, which which is great because you know that's that's something that you know a lot of the game publishers want to see is uh, is that you know sort of social experience being uh, you know extending past the game itself right and mm -hmm. continuing into Discord and on Twitter and, and that post game sort of social experience. All right. So when did you start noticing that this was a problem? Uh, I, my personal experience was the first indicator. I mean, so I still play games, uh, not as much as I thought having started a gaming company and, and definitely less and less over the years. Uh, but I'll, I'll have my moments. I'm not as good as I used to be, but I still have a moment or two that I'm like, that's cool. I want to share that. And I've tried every solution out there. I've done it the hard way. I've tried the quote unquote easy ways and it just sucks. The experience was just, it's just not consumer friendly. And, and like in a world where, you know, you can create and consume content like instantly on your phone 24 mm -hmm. seven, you know, actually taking content from gaming and doing anything with that is just too much work, even for me at this point. So I was like, all right, well, you know, it doesn't have to be like this. And there was, you know, some obvious improvement areas that could streamline the whole process. And so that was kind of what, what got me thinking when I was on the plane. I'm like, well, what's the problem that I should solve? And I was thinking, you know, well, I, uh, I, I wish I had an easier time sharing my own content. So I felt like, well, other people probably feel the same way. And you right. know, I started to talk to users and found out, yeah, no, totally. Like almost everyone feels the same way. And, and that was our, uh, you know, kind of launch pad. Yeah. Now, when did you meet Mark Cuban? So I've only met Mark over email. He's a big email guy, uh, which I love because I'm also a big email person. I think it's <laughs> one of the best ways to like stay productive, like be efficient. Um, so the the way that kind of came together was I was actually uh, on my way to Italy. I was uh, I was on uh, I was waiting at JFK to basically take a vacation. I haven't taken a vacation in years. Uh, and this was an engagement vacation. So I was going to get engaged to my then girlfriend, now fiance. Oh. And uh, we're waiting at uh, JFK. They're starting to like call our gate, open it up. And then our attorney, Neil, uh, calls me sort of in like a panic. And he's uh, he's also <laughs> an investor in the company. 
and uh, and he actually uh, you know through his uh, his fiance they have uh, you know a connection to Mark where they're able to actually put our material in front of him. And so we started our fundraising process and as luck would have it, the timing, a window opened up to kind of share our stuff to Mark. So he calls me, he's like, Hey, like, I'm sorry to bother. Like Mark's interested. He's got questions. And I'm like, okay, like let's hop on the phone. And so, you know, we start banging out the responses. I mean, it, it, Mark Cuban's superpower is that he just gets things immediately. And like compared to, you know, so many investors we've talked to his questions cut so deep into really what we were doing and the value that we saw. So, um, so we, you know, got our responses out, made it on the plane right before the doors closed. <laughs> and, you know, long story short, uh, he said, yes, she said, yes, it was a very, uh, very memorable <laughs> vacation, not the most relaxing, uh, but certainly unforgettable. Well, congratulations. That's thank amazing. You, thank you. It's a really good story too, right? Of how it's just not like, oh, my attorney just introduced us to Mark. It was like this whole thing. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I think it just comes down to, I think that entrepreneurial mindset, right? Like you can't sit on an opportunity like that. It doesn't matter like, oh. what's happening. And, right. you know, I'm sure he you know, probably noticed some of that. And uh, there was definitely a moment in the vacation where, you know, I basically offered to be like, hey, if you want to like meet in person, like I'll fly to Dallas, like let's, let's, let's chat. And uh, I had to clear that with Marissa, my fiance. I was like, just to be clear, like, are you cool with me saying like, we'll cut the trip short. She's like, of course, do what you got to do. So, uh, you know, it, it takes a village and I probably, uh, you know, definitely could not do this without her support. So. What was one of the most challenging aspects of getting the vision across to investors and how were you able to then pivot or evolve your pitch? Yeah, um, I, I think, and I was just talking to someone about this earlier today, but I think anything that you see, be it like a, a pitch, uh, you know, content, a tweet, like, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, written, you know, an article or something, like the shorter it is, the, the more, the better it is, the longer, you know, it took to, to produce. And it probably was not the first version of whatever it is. And I think the most successful people all have one thing in common, which is just, you know, you're tirelessly iterating and throwing things out and doing it over and over until it's is, is as good as you can get it or good enough. Right. So for me, uh, I think, you know, the, the most challenging part is just being concise. Uh, I, you know, if you haven't been able to tell, I like to talk. And so like, it's very easy to tell the whole story, but to get that to like five, 10 minutes cold, I mean, that just takes endless iteration and, and just chopping things down and shortening them. And so that was absolutely the hardest part was taking like a 30 minute story and getting that down to 10 minutes. And I would credit the New York angels with that, uh, just applying to pitch them. And then you get like, you get to pitch you're among 10 companies, you get 10 minutes. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just a very high pressure sort of situation. And so you have no choice. You have 10 minutes and that's it. And that's the, you know, you either pass or fail and the investors want to keep talking to you if you pass. So, uh, that took a lot of all nighters and, you know, just tons and tons of prep. Um, that was probably the hardest part. And then I think, you know, it was just a never ending journey of constantly iterating our story, condensing it and optimizing it until, you know, you get some version of kind of what I'm talking about today. And how have you evolved as a leader through this process? Great question. Um, so I will do my best to answer this, but probably easier answered by the people that work with me and around <laughs> me. I, I, it's a never ending process for me, the self-improvement. I think where I've improved is being a little bit more, uh, well, I guess two things. One is really just working with those around me to enable them to work in the way that is best for them. Uh, you know, I remember early in my career thinking like, everyone's got to just do things the way I do them. And that's just wrong. It's more about, 
you know, figuring out how to collaborate with people in the ways that are, are best for them and how they want to approach something. So being a little bit more uh, high level, like, you know, really giving people the problem, not feeding them the solution or the way I want the solution to be is something that I've gotten better at and continue to try to focus on. Uh, and I think the other side of that is really just, you know, not doing it all yourself, uh, which is very mm -hmm. easy to do when you're a early stage startup founder. You want to do everything and you think you can do it better. The reality is uh, you can't and you're wrong. There's people out there that are way better at pretty <laughs> much everything you're doing. And so the job is identifying the parts of your job that are ready to break free and give to someone else and then just getting out of the way and just giving them what yeah. they need to be successful. Yeah. And so many people talk about that too, is when you micromanage, your company goes nowhere fast. You <laughs> yeah. have to be willing to trust the people. That's the biggest All about part. Trust. Yeah. Yeah. One came to you stating that they were about to pivot in their career. What would be three essential steps you would share with them to help make that pivot successful? So if someone is, is thinking about pivoting in their career, I think the, the first step is to be like really honest and clear with yourself about uh, what it is that you want to do. And, you know, and that that comes into like both, you know, do you want to be a CEO or a CTO? Or are you more into the marketing? Or, you know, would you rather focus on like the operations? Like what sort of if you're starting a company, like what are the things that interest you the most? Because, you know, that will determine if you're doing this by yourself, if you need other people with you. So like figure out what you really want to do because it's a, you know, it's a just you're taking on a new job. You're just making it for yourself. So that's number one. I think number two is really figuring out like where you want to focus. And for me, that was like an inward journey. I like looked back at my history, my career, my passions, and and I found a problem that I was motivated to solve. And so I think it's really about focusing on you know on on being yourself and figuring out what part of you would make a great business or, or give you something that you're really passionate about and can work really hard at. And then I think the third piece, which I, I kind of touched on is like, make sure you're solving a problem. Like if you're not solving mm -hmm. a problem, you know, I, I think that's, that's probably the most important thing. You know, maybe your pivots just going into a different industry. Maybe you're not starting your own company, but you really need to think about like, what is the problem being solved? Because if that's not compelling enough, then, you know, you're, you're taking on more risks. Those are probably like the three things that I went through to decide. I, I would also say, don't do it unless you're comfortable with the financial risks. So mm. I, I was very lucky. I had like a good, you know, I had a, a successful sales career and I've got, I had some, you know, cushion so that I could experiment and take some risk in, in my life and career. Uh, but, you know, you're not going to get anywhere without making a sacrifice, but you also need to be sensible and not make a wrong decision for your future. Um, so I think that's also just like a prerequisite outside of the process to decide what that pivot might be. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I think a lot of people, there's the passion, but they don't understand the problem that they're solving. And that that's where the conflict comes yeah. in to yeah, the disconnect. You don't want to be a solution in search of a problem. Right. Someone else <laughs> came up with that, but <laughs> it definitely right. is, you know, that's the right, I think, mindset. Yeah. Where can my listeners find you on social media? Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter. I am at Nick Cuomo, N-I-C-K-C-U-O-M-O. Uh, I am also a follow all star. So it's play, share, star, Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, pretty much uh, any social Facebook that you can think of. Also, uh, allstar.gg uh, is, uh, is our, our website. So come check it out and uh, create some content with us. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure.
yeah, likewise, Cheryl. Thanks for giving me an opportunity to share my story and uh, glad to, uh, to be talking with you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Embrace the Pivot. I hope all of you are embracing your pivots. As always, feel free to reach out to me at robinson at embracethepivot.org. I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Until next week, I hope you have a wonderful day. You can follow me, Dr. C, on Instagram at Embrace the Pivot. I hope all of you embrace your pivot.